The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Thank you, each of you, for leading us in worship this morning. Our text comes, not surprisingly, from Luke chapter 2. So find a copy of the scriptures. We're going to begin reading at verse 22. I was so encouraged by Pastor Jim's announcements at the beginning of the morning and the video that uh, we had, we call that dubbed from uh, Indonesia this morning. Uh, for example, the prospect of going to down to Kentucky with helping hands. Wouldn't it be neat for us to, to supplement that, encourage that? Or even to send one or two of you. I hope that wouldn't it be great if somebody could go with the teams. Another great thing uh, that happened just this week was the publication of the first book ever by Pastor Sam Machaka on Amazon. Isn't that great? You know, we've always said... We've always said his is the kind of teaching that we want more people to hear. And so we're so grateful to see that out. We owe a big debt of gratitude to Robin and Sean, who put quite a lot of hours in collaboration and editing and designing that. Now, what I notice is that for those of us in the USA, the book is about $7. I ordered a couple dozen um, the other day. Sam ordered one for delivery to himself in Malawi. It was $56. So slightly higher in Africa. So I, I think without further investigation, I think what we're going to have to do is we'll order it here in bulk and then our shipping director, Pastor Jim, will see about getting those to Sam as cheaply as possible. I was just thinking to myself, wouldn't it be cool if one or two of you who love Sam and Mildred, because Mildred contributed to the book as well, on top of your regular giving, you'd say, I'd like to pitch in something to buy a whole bunch of those books that when Sam travels, he could make them available to um, his students. So if you'd like to do I should have asked the other elders if it'd be okay if I did this, but do you see what it says on my name tag? Sean made my name tag, and it says emperor. It's good to be the emperor. So I'm just deciding to do this if... If you want to make a gift, you could do that online or whatever. Just say books for Sam or whatever, and we'll see that that goes toward buying him a truckload of books to distribute as he travels. From Luke chapter 2, we pick up with verse 22. And the precious story of Jesus' visit to the temple. And the people that were there. 
And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Quote, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant Depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A life of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory and for glory to your people Israel. Pastor Brian, I'm going to let you read the rest, okay? But may I pray? Father, as we celebrate today once again the gift of your Son, here we are coming before you, not faithful, but as the song described, unfaithful. For it is the unfaithful who need a savior and who with Simeon can depart, can live and depart in peace. For we have seen your salvation. Plus our pastor, as he opens these familiar words to us once again, that truly and newly we'd be inclined to praise you as our call to worship challenged us. Name of your son, I pray. Amen. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Can you imagine? They marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day and coming up 
at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is God's word. Joy. Joy is a great theme during the Advent season. And with joy, there's waiting. There's anticipation of something something good, something we desire, something better. We get a taste of it simply waiting for Christmas morning and all of the excitement that goes along with it. But the, the ultimate has to do with our faith, of course. We see the long wait in Scripture where God's people suffered in slavery and God sends a deliverer, a deliverer that foreshadows what the people ultimately are looking for in God's promised Messiah. And there are many pictures of this throughout Scripture. But finally, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And Simeon and Anna are blessed to be there for this first advent, to see this promised baby. And so we remember this. This is, this is what we celebrate. And even with our wonderful perspective of seeing what Christ has done, still we experience waiting. We know salvation, but we anticipate a final salvation, a second advent or coming when Jesus comes again to make all things right. And then we know that our joy is going to be full. But in the meantime, we wait. And we don't tend to like waiting. But the great thing about our Christian faith is that we can experience joy in the midst of our journey because of faith. Because what we anticipate is not a maybe. It's not wishful thinking. But instead, it's a certain hope that one day will be reality. So connected to joy is hope and assurance. Connected to joy is faith in God. Connected to joy is waiting and longing like Simeon and Anna did. And like this Christian brother who wrote, he went to see My Little Pony recently. I suppose that a little boy can enjoy My Little Pony, but a 19-year-old in the theater stands out. My brother is a joy to our family. He shares jokes he doesn't know he's telling, sings, laughs, dances as if no one's watching. Even though we know each other deeply, I've never had the pleasure of having a genuine conversation with him. For a time, we wondered if he was ever going to speak. He was further along on the autism scale than most. And the disability created a wall, a wall around him that has been hard for his mother, father, sister, grandfather, and brother to scale. Like a sun blocked by chemical clouds, we have never fully experienced the full warmth of his spirit. Much has been lost in translation. 
on days when I remember that, unless a miracle occurs, he will never marry, never have a career, never drive a car, never live alone, never participate in a Bible study, never hold a sustained conversation with his family. And I wonder, where is God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Is the healing of my brother not pleasing to him? I know that if God were only to speak the word, lame speech would rise. Clouds in his mind would part. And the Jericho wall that autism is would come crashing down. Our spirits would finally commune together. But 19 years have passed, although I've waited with face pressed against the windowsill. I haven't seen anything appear upon the gravel road. Spring turned to fall and fall to winter. Questions came, but the healing has not. The ache turns numb. The persistent widow becomes just a widow. That great thing, my brother's healing has not come. Sometimes we wait a lifetime. And this is the sense that we get with Simeon and Anna. Simeon is described in verse 25 as waiting for the consolation or comfort of Israel. He's waiting for change. All is not well. His people are restless. They're in need of God's help, his comfort. There is a great and long anticipation for change. It's been building over a lifetime. And it's hard to imagine the the joy they experienced when they finally beheld the promise of God holding, holding him in their arms. And yes, the text only describes Simeon holding the baby Jesus, but it's hard to imagine that a woman not holding, that she would not hold this baby who is a matter of her lifelong worship and prayers and ultimate joy. The best things in life are not only worth waiting for, but they're actually enhanced by the wait. Think of it. Drinking a a cool glass of water is nice, but it's fantastic when you've been out in the heat for a while and your throat is dry and you thirst. Nobody likes to thirst. But the thirst, the weight, makes the pleasure of drinking so much better. Our experience of joy is enhanced by the weight. And Simeon and Anna's joy must have been incredible. Incredible, not only because of the weight, but because of the significance of what they held. In verse 26, we see that God had promised Simeon that he would not see death before seeing the Lord's Christ, the Messiah, God's gift of salvation. This is the ultimate. For Simeon, nothing else compares. And verse 29 In verse 29, he basically says, now I can die. 
I've seen him. You promised I wouldn't die before this day. The ultimate joy has finally come. I've seen all that I need to see. Nothing tops this. I'm ready to die. Baby Jesus is at the center of this day. He's at the center of our hope, and there's no greater joy. It's Jesus. It's Christmas, the incarnation, which leads us to the life, and then death, and then resurrection, and then ascension of our Lord, and the promise that he will come again, and he will make all things right. We, we, unlike Simeon and Anna, we know the rest of the story after this birth. We know the events that were to come and what Jesus had to do to purchase and secure our salvation. But like all the Old Testament saints before him, Simeon looked in faith to the promise of God that he would one day send a Messiah. He would one day send one who would deal with our sin and crush the head of the serpent. And he didn't know the details of what was to come, but he He knew he was holding, he was looking upon God's gift of salvation. Simeon and Anna looked forward to the first advent, and we look back and we celebrate it with joy. And even in the realization that that it is finished, still, we wait, anticipating another, a second advent when our resurrected, ascended Lord will come again and make all things right. If your faith in Jesus, if your faith is in Jesus, then then pain and sorrow, longing for change, will one day lead to joy. And your assurance of this gives you joy along the way. We have joy along the way because we have Jesus along the way. But we still anticipate a greater day. And this is what we see in Simeon and Anna. Simeon, a man of faith. Anna, a woman of prayer. Two ordinary people that we don't know much about other than they were old. And they waited for God's promised salvation. Some guess that Simeon may have been a priest, but the Bible doesn't say. Instead, what we're given is a description of his character and that he waited to see the Lord. God gave him an amazing promise. What a gracious God. And Simeon heard the promise of God and he patiently, in faith, waited. One person said that this is what it means to be a believer. It means waiting in faith for God to do what he has promised. Love that description. So simple. So typical of what we see in the various stories in the Bible and what we, you and I, experience in our own lives. Let's face it, we don't like waiting. Or, speaking for myself, I don't like waiting. Yes, I confess that I 
I do feel guilty preferring the self-checkout line in the grocery store. I know, I know it's better to engage face-to-face with real people, and I would prefer this if it weren't so slow. And it's not so much that I'm in a hurry to actually be somewhere. I just don't like waiting. Have you ever hit a traffic jam? And I know the answer the Beaver fans are thinking, just run over those ducks. Um, Have you ever been in a traffic jam and you end up taking a detour that you know is not going to get you there faster. It's actually going to take longer. But you do it anyway because you'd rather be moving than waiting. Waiting is hard because it's a form of surrender. And so it makes sense that God actually has us wait. Being a believer, being a Christian, means that we follow God. We wait on Him. We trust His promise, even and especially when we can't see any progress in the line, we wait. We trust that his way is going to lead to joy. This is the life of Simeon and Anna, waiting, trusting, not presuming to tell God what he needs to do, not not expecting immediate gratification or to have your best life now. No, being a believer means that we wait like Simeon in faith, believing that God will do what he's actually promised us. We're not told how long Simeon and Anna waited, but it's a pretty good assumption that it was a very, very, very long time because Anna is described as being advanced in years. How'd you like to be? in Scripture for all the centuries of people reading, you were advanced in years. If you're sensitive to people knowing how old you are, just think of poor Anna. Not only is she described as advanced in years for all to read, but we're told that she's at least 84 years old. And I say at least because... I mean, I say at least because the, some interpret her, um, some interpret verse 37 in that she was a widow for 84 years and not that she was a widow until she was 84 years old. So Anna was at least 84, if not 104 or more. And ultimately, it really doesn't matter. But the picture that we're, that's being painted for us is that they both waited for a lot of years. And in all those years, do you think Simeon maybe got a reputation as the guy walking around the streets, always going up to mothers holding their babies, wanting to hold them and look? How many times over the years did he see parents presenting their children at the temple. How many times did he, did he pull back the blanket and look only to be uh, disappointed? And how did he even know he'd know? Would there be a little halo around baby Jesus? Would, wouldn't Jesus have looked ordinary? 
And I suppose that was another matter of faith, knowing that God would make it clear to him because of his promise. And evidently he did, as we read, that Simeon came in the spirit into the temple. At just the right time, when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus into the temple, the Holy Spirit graciously led Simeon there to bless him with the greatest joy of his life in seeing Jesus. What do you long to see? What are you waiting for? How wonderful will it be to see our loved ones who have gone on before us? There's going to be a lot of joy in heaven as, as great as the, these reunions are going to be. I suspect nothing will compare to seeing, actually seeing Jesus. And don't worry about a long line if there is one. Remember that waiting is going to enhance your joy. Oh, can you imagine how overwhelmed Simeon must have been with Jesus in his arms, giving this prophetic psalm saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Salvation has come in a baby. This baby in his arms was not just, not just a part of salvation, but salvation itself. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to all of our longings. He's all anyone needs to be saved. And Simeon knew this. He knew there was, there was nothing else he needed to see could finally depart in peace. And an application to us in this truth, anyone who has seen Jesus with the eyes of faith is ready to die. Age is not the issue. Earthly riches and success is nothing. Your legacy doesn't matter if you have not seen Jesus. Whether you're young or old, you need to be ready to die. Our society doesn't like to talk about that. But whether you're young or old, you need to be ready to die. You need to be prepared to see your maker. You may live to be advanced in years, or you may not see the age of 17. You don't know. But what you do need to know is that the only way a person is truly ready to die is by seeing, by knowing, by having faith in Jesus. So the question is, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen him crucified for your sins? Have you seen him raised for your salvation? If so... I wish you many wonderful years on this earth. But ultimately, like Simeon, this is all you need before you depart in peace. This baby in Simeon's arms was not only for him, not only for the Jews, 
but he was also for the Gentiles, for all peoples, the non-Jews. Jesus came as a light of revelation. He came to save all peoples, all nations. It wasn't a plan B when the Jews rejected him. It was God's intention all along. Jesus is God's gift, a light to the nations. The whole world is covered, right? The whole world is covered in darkness because of sin. And Jesus came to shine the light of salvation in every corner of it. And how does he do this? Well, he does this through us. Through missionaries like we've watched. Through his church going and making disciples. And there's no boundaries. This is why we're so blessed as a church, excited as a church to encourage and support our friends being a part of what's going on in Thailand, Africa, or Brazil, or Colombia, various places around the world, and here in our own community as well. We have this good news to share because this baby was born. We can point to him and say, look, look and see God's salvation. Jesus is the light of the world. See him and be saved. Simeon gave these incredible words of prophecy. And can you imagine being his parents? We're always so proud of our children. Can you imagine being his parents? Verse 33 says that they, they marveled. Their mouths must have been gaping open as they stood there in awe. They received this incredible blessing from Simeon. And then they hear what is often connected to the outworking of joy. They hear, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Not words that you typically hear at a baptism or when a baby is introduced and prayed for at church, huh? But Jesus, of course, is not just any baby. He's the Savior of the world. And Simeon prophesied that this salvation would not come through through military conquest, but through suffering. Suffering that would, of course, not only pierce the side of Jesus, but the very soul of his mother. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but he's also the object of opposition, the sign that is opposed. And we know that people will despise him. We know that people will reject him. They, they will use his name as a curse to this day. We know that they're going to nail him to a cross and leave him there to die. So once again, we see this, this stabbing pain in the midst of joy. Oh, how Mary must have been filled to overflowing joy at the birth of her firstborn son, and all of the incredible angelic visitations, the blessings having to do with with her baby. In your experience, doesn't, doesn't it always seem like 
there's a little bad news mixed with the good. In our times of joy, is there a, a, a yeah, but? And our joy is overshadowed with some gloomy dread. With us, it might just be sinful worry, not an actual circumstance. But here with Mary, it was prophetic and therefore certain. And in retrospect, we can see that God was actually graciously, mercifully preparing her for the crucifixion to come. A horrible event, but absolutely necessary for her greater joy as well. The salvation of her pierced soul. And what we learn from this prophecy is that God, God of course, is sovereign. The cross was not a surprising, unexpected event. It was the fulfillment of God's plan, and it was ultimately for joy. And in this prophecy, we also see that that God did not intend to save everyone. He intended to save his people, but he also spoke through Simeon saying that people would both fall and rise because of Jesus. That there would be opposition, that the thoughts of people's hearts would be revealed because of Jesus. Jesus is the great divide. You're either for him or against him. There's no in-between. And he ultimately exposes the heart of every person. Do we fall before him? Humbled at the realization of our sin and seeing our need of his grace, being drawn to Jesus, and then he lifts us up to glory? In fact, the word given in verse 34, rising, this same Greek word is used in the New Testament, translated elsewhere as resurrection. And all who believe in Jesus, all who believe in Jesus are appointed to rise, to be resurrected in him, to the glory of God. And yet, some people... Some people will refuse to be humbled by their sin. They'll stand proud without admitting their need to be forgiven. They'll think that they're not so bad, that that their good works will give them a passing grade. And so to them, Jesus is just offensive. It's offensive. It should be, right? It's offensive to hear that you're so bad that we deserve a death sentence. That the ugliness of the cross was actually necessary because we're really that bad. That Jesus is the constant reminder of this message, which offends who we think we actually are. This is why scripture says that Jesus is a stumbling block. Those who think they can stand or rise by their own merits will stumble and fall over Jesus. Jesus, he's meant to be this. God intends for our hearts to be confronted with the truth. And so when people give a a false gospel that does not speak of sin, but only says, Jesus loves you just the way you are, 
Why would anybody stumble over that? If he loved me just the way I was, why did he need to die? Why would I need to acknowledge my sins? If I'm good just the way I am, why do I need to be forgiven? There's no need for me to fall before him and look to him for a salvation that raises me up to heaven. But in reality, the truth of Jesus forces a response. We either see our need and joyfully look to him in faith, or this baby reveals a heart of sin that sees him as opposition to how we want to live. And then in our text, there's Anna. And once again, we see longing and waiting and a hard life connected to joy. Anna keeps, Anna kept herself pure for marriage. And then her husband dies only seven years into their marriage. And she was a widow ever since. But her joy was in the Lord. Anna was always in the temple. She was worshiping, known for fasting and praying day and night, waiting for the Lord's promise of redemption. And one lesson that we might learn from her is that whatever God calls you to do, at whatever season of your life, serve him. Serve him with expectant joy. Be devoted to him. Live for his glory. You ever think, you know, why is it that our, our what we call prayer warriors, more typically they're elderly women and not the strong youthful man? I think it's this way because prayer is linked to humility. And young, capable people tend to think they can handle it, while years of experience teach that we really can't. And only God can. Years and hard circumstances cause us to realize all the more how much we really need to pray. I know it's true for me. The older I became, the more I realized in my parenting, in my supposed wisdom and forms of godly punishment, controlling my children, that it wasn't enough to control their hearts. So the older they got, the more I realized, I really need to pray. Because only God can affect their hearts. You know, if you're you're not musically gifted, if you're physically unable to serve in the church, or you don't have the gift of teaching, don't underestimate the importance of serving God's church through prayer. There's so many needs in just our church family, and we make them known through weekly emails. So if you're, if you're actually a part of this church, you know you can, you can be a part of the prayer team and get those emails and pray over them. Just if, you, if you're not signed up, go to our website, bearcreekchurch.org. You can see a little link to sign up for the prayer team. Prayer is critical. The older I get, the more I believe that the most important part of any church is to have people who pray. 
that we be like Anna who faithfully worshipped and served the Lord, giving thanks to him, presenting our requests, asking for, for help and protection and strength. There is a, a beautiful expectation that we see in Anna as she, she dedicates herself to worship, as she prays, and then when she also comes to the temple at that very hour and sees the baby Jesus, what does she do? She immediately begins to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all. That's the description given to us. What a great example for us to faithfully worship, look to God in prayer, and then give thanks and share the good news of Jesus to everyone. Greg Morse, who described waiting for his brother's healing, went on to write. He said, we wait for the greatest thing that will surely come, our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And with his coming, we wipe, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death and crying and pain will be banished forever. The story is incomplete. But disappointment, autism, and heartbreak only lasts for a page or two. The healing may not come in this life, but the healer does. The spouse may never come around the corner, but our heavenly spouse is mounting his chariot. The tears will not bring your loved one back. But the resurrection and the life is coming. There is more to the story as we sense the Spirit of God himself inside us, groaning, urging us, we keep our faces pressed against the windowsill. Jesus will appear on the gravel road, and when he does, our lives that feel over now will freshly begin. The greatest things are sure to come because he is sure to come. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we wait, as we wait for Christmas morning and the celebration of your son's birth, we pray for joy. We pray that we would not be distracted from the significance of this season, and that we would focus on Jesus and see his salvation and anticipate and long for his coming. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who unites us to Jesus and that in the difficulties and painful circumstances of this life, he's always with us. You've given us a helper and you've given us your son. Your son who gives us peace and joy along the way. Your son who is a light of revelation to all peoples. Lord, help us to go, help us to share this good news, especially now. We give thanks. We give you thanks for all that is ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and we pray in his great name. Amen.